We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in Matthew chapter number 1. We'll begin reading uh, in verse number 18. Matthew chapter number 1 and verse number 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Let me just pause here to to give a little bit of explanation. Uh, Here was a couple, Joseph and Mary, they were espoused. Uh, We might think of the term engaged, engagement, a couple that are officially engaged to be husband and wife. Uh, This term espoused, though, carries even greater significance because not only were they engaged, but legally they were viewed as husband and wife. Now, they had not come together. Uh, They had not, uh, of course, taken up a, a, a residence together. They were living apart. And remember, there was no telephone. There was no email. There was no text message. Uh, in that day. Boy, that that must be nice, right? And um, so they're espoused. They are officially viewed as husband and wife, but they have not had a wedding ceremony. They have not been together, and they are not living together. And Joseph gets the news that his espoused wife is with child. And he is troubled by that news, as anyone would be. And he is considering how to deal with it. And the Bible reveals to us something of his character here. Because the Bible said he was a just man. That means he was a good man, a a man who did that which was honorable. He was not willing to make her a public example. He loved her. He did not want to shame her. But he was minded to put her away, to break off this espousal, to to end this relationship. He was was minded to put her away privily. And while he thought on these things in verse 20, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. 
Now, I call your attention to verse number 23, where the Word of God tells us that, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. When we think about the meaning and the significance of Christmas, the birth of Christ, the message is clear. The message is simply found in the last three words of verse 23, God with us. God with us. You see, after 400 years of silence, that began with the end of Malachi's prophecy up until Matthew's record uh, here in the New Testament. In that 400 years of silence, finally God disturbs the silence. He interrupts it as he speaks. And his message simply heralds the announcement of the Savior's birth. He spoke first to Mary and next, we see that he spoke to Joseph. Imagine not only all that was going on in Joseph's heart when he heard this news, but all that was going on in Mary's, wondering, knowing that Joseph would somehow find out, unable to communicate with him what had happened, and wondering how he would respond, and committing it to God. And so he spoke to Mary, and then he spoke to Joseph, and then we know that he spoke to the shepherds in the fields outside of Bethlehem, and that he spoke to Simeon and Anna in the temple, and that he spoke to the wise men, the magi from the east who came. They came to Jerusalem, and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? <laughs> They were shocked, the men of Israel, who should have known, were shocked to hear the news of the Magi who said, where is he, the one that's born king of the Jews? They were the ones, speaking of the Jews, the men in Jerusalem, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had the law. And here these men from the east come, having seen the star, having understood the, the scripture and the times and and they said, where is he? Well, they were totally caught off guard. The Bible teaches that he was with us. He had come, and God had spoken. And I'm glad that Christmas has a message. And this message is just very simple, as I said a moment ago. God with us. Now, in the next few weeks, we'll be looking at this thought, God with us. And this morning, I want us to consider this thought, that God came to us. God came to us. And then as we move forward, we'll note the thought that God is with us. And then eventually, we're going to see that because God came to us and because He's with us today, one day we will be with Him. What a glorious day that will be. But I want us to consider the thought this morning that God came to us. And I want you to note some things as we consider this thought. We begin in verse number 20. The Bible said that while he, speaking of Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, 
Thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. This child is not the result of a relationship between a man and a woman. Up until that point, no other child had ever been conceived and no, no other child had ever been born under these conditions. This is a supernatural act of God. And when we think about the fact that he came to us, we notice, number one, that God came to us in demonstration of his power. God came to us in demonstration of his power. He came to us in a way that reveals to us clearly that this could only happen as a result of the supernatural act of God. Amen. Joseph, don't be afraid to take your wife. She has not violated uh, her vows to you. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Then fast forward to verse 23. Speaking of the prophecy, God reminds Joseph of the prophecy. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. That prophecy is recorded in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So what do we know about the Lord Jesus? We know that he was born of a woman, but not of a man. He is the son of God who has come to us. Had he been born of a man, as the Pharisees and the scribes and others whispered and claimed, had he been born of a man, then his sacrifice would have not atoned for our sins. The efficacy of his sacrifice would be totally inadequate had he been the son of any man. But because we know that he is not the son of a man, but that he is conceived of the power of the Holy Ghost, we know that he is the son of God. And as such, he came in power. And throughout his life, he lived and demonstrated the power of God. He demonstrated it with the power of a sinless life. He demonstrated it with the power of the miracles that he performed. His power over Satan, over sin, over suffering, over disease, and ultimately over death. And the Bible teaches us that he spake with power and authority. The officer said, never man spake like this man because he was the God man Jesus Christ the righteous who became man without ceasing to be God and I want you to recognize this morning as we think about Christmas we need to acknowledge the fact that God came to us and as he came to us he didn't come to us in normal fashion as other men he came to us in supernatural fashion as the God man. He came to us and he lived among us and he died for us and he made the payment for our sin and he came forward from the grave in demonstration of his power. And secondly, I want you to see that God came to us to deliver us from sin and death. He came to us to deliver us from sin and death. He didn't simply come to demonstrate his power. 
but he came to use that power to meet our greatest need. Notice in verse 21, as the Lord spoke to Joseph, he said, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord said, Joseph, this baby is not the result of a relationship between any other man and your spouse wife. The Holy Ghost has conceived that child in her womb. And you will name that child Jesus, God our Savior, because he shall save his people from their sins. Why did God come to us to deliver us from sin and death? John chapter number 3 and verse number 17 the Bible said, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. You see, Jesus Christ did not come to condemn us. The reality of the fact is that we were already condemned. The Bible teaches us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul led us to that conclusion in the in the book of Romans, as he so uh, wonderfully uh, directed it and, and so convincingly proved that all the world is guilty before God. You see, we are descendants of Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. They rebelled against God. As a result of their sin and their rebellion, the Spirit of God departed from them, and they took upon themselves a new nature, the nature of sin, that is that enmity against God. And their children, the children that were born unto Adam and Eve and the children that have been born unto all of Adam's race, including you and I, are born and inherit the nature of sin. Nobody has to tell us how to cheat, how to lie, how to deceive or manipulate. Nobody has to teach us how to hate or to steal or to scheme. These are things that come natural to us because the root of sin dwells within our hearts. We're sinners for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is what the word of God teaches us. And as a result of our sinfulness, we are under the curse of sin and we are under the curse of death for the wages of sin. The just deserts of our sin is death, a, a, a life that ends in a physical death, and then an existence, a life that continues in spiritual death, forever separated from God in an awful place called hell, the place of torment where the fire is not quenched. This is what the Word of God teaches us. And God came in order to deliver us from the curse of sin and death. He came that the world might not be condemned. As I said a moment ago, we're already condemned. But into our condemnation steps the Son of God in order to deliver us, to save us, to rescue us from sin in its penalty and its power and deliver us from the presence of sin ultimately in heaven and to give us eternal life. What a glorious gift God has offered to us in salvation. 
The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, making the payment for our sin. He didn't wait on us to clean up our act, by the way. He died for us in the midst of our iniquity. And so we note that God came to us. He came to us in demonstration of his power. He came to us to deliver us from sin and death. And thirdly, I'd like for you to note this morning that God came to us according to his promise. He made a promise to us. When was that promise made? Well, it was made in the beginning. Notice in verse 22 of Matthew chapter number 1. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. What prophecy is he referring to? He's referring to the one I read to you earlier in Isaiah chapter number 7 and verse 14, that a virgin would conceive and bear a son. But I want you to notice that that promise predates Isaiah and goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. And I'd like for you to look with me, if you would, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14, because here we have the promise uttered by the Lord. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, Thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. So who is God speaking to? He's speaking to the serpent. He's speaking to the serpent in the audience of Adam and Eve. They're there. He's spoken already to them. He is pronouncing the results and the judgment upon them because of their sin. And he is saying to the serpent, because you have done this, what did the serpent do? The serpent beguiled Eve. He came to her. The Bible said he was the, uh, more subtle than any beast of the field. He came to her and he deceived her. He began to speak to her. Have you tried that good-looking fruit in the middle of the garden in the tree of knowledge of good and evil? No, I haven't tried that. Why haven't you? Because God said not to. Did God really say that? Eve, you ought to take a bite of that fruit. It's really good. Looks good, doesn't it? Yes, well, it does. You know, Eve, here's what God knows. He knows that you're not going to die if you eat that fruit. He knows that you're not going to need him anymore. Because if you eat that fruit, you won't need God. And wouldn't you like to be in charge of your own life? Don't you get tired of somebody telling you what to do? Take a bite of it. So she did. And, all, and immediately, the Spirit of God departed from her. She became a sinner. She gave that fruit to Adam. Immediately his eyes were open. The Bible says they both knew that they were naked. And when they heard God come, instead of running to him, they ran from him. When he asked them where they were, it's not because he needed to know. He wanted them to confess it. Adam said, we heard your voice and we ran because we, we're naked. God said, who told you? Who told you? You see, they were clothed in innocence before with no sin nature. But now the sin nature had come in. The life of God had departed. Adam, what happened? Don't blame me, God. It's the woman you gave me. Eve, what happened? Don't blame me. It's the serpent you created. You see, that's the effect sin has upon us. 
it separates us from God and it divides us from those that we're supposed to love. And so God stood in the midst of the garden. He stood in the midst of what he had created. Remember, when God created it, the Bible said he saw that it was good. But now he stands in the midst of the ruin of his creation. And who ruined it? The creatures he made. The man and woman that he formed and gave life to. They have rebelled against him and ruined his creation. So what is God going to do? Leave them to fend for themselves? No. He makes a promise to them. In verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed. He's now still, he continues to speak to the serpent. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and, notice the next two words, her seed. Not Adam's seed because Jesus is not the seed of Adam. He is the son of God. He is born of a woman. I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. Speaking of Christ, he will crush the head of the serpent and thou shalt bruise his heel. Oh, the serpent bit the heel of Christ and he went to the cross and made the payment for our sin. He suffered and died, but on the third day he arose the victor and the conqueror. He crushed the head of the serpent. You see, God made a promise way back then. He was going to send a deliverer. In Genesis chapter 12, he directs that promise through the seed of Abraham. The Bible said, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. God said, I have a land for you, Abraham. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Through the descendants of Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, the Messiah would come and be a blessing to us all. God says, I have a land for you. We see that land is in dispute today. And God has made a promise, I will bless him who blesses you. I will curse him that curses you. And we know the history bears out that record is true. So how do we interpret the events in the Middle East and the strife in Gaza? We interpret it in light of God's word. The promise was made and it was directed through Abraham. Then we come to Genesis 49.10, and we find that in Genesis 49, the promise is, is, is directed again through the seed of Abraham, but now through the tribe of Judah. In verse 10 of chapter 49, the Bible says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from beneath his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So now we find that the Messiah is coming from the seed of of Judah, the tribe of Judah. And then we come to 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, which we recently studied when we studied the life of David. And here's what we find. We find that God said to David, 
He said, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's speaking initially of Solomon, but ultimately of one greater than Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will rule upon the throne of David. You see, God came just as he promised. That's why uh, uh, when the wise men came from the east, they were amazed that the men of Jerusalem weren't looking for the fulfillment of the promise. Oh, they were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a political deliverer, the men of Jerusalem. They wanted somebody to deliver them from Roman oppression, but they didn't recognize their need to be delivered from sin and from death. And by the way, there's a temptation that comes to us in the midst of our current condition and in our culture and in our nation that we're more interested in a political Savior than we are the Savior of our souls. And may God help us. And so we know that God came to us. Fourthly, we see that He came to us as the result of His love. Look in verse 23. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Why did God come to us? Quite simply, because he loves us. He loves us. The Bible says in John chapter number 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world. I have some good news for you this morning. You may feel as if nobody loves you, but your feelings have deceived you. God has declared in his word with authority that he loves you. And not only has he declared it, he has demonstrated it. And how did he demonstrate it? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. He came to you in the greatest hour of your need, in the greatest area of need in your life, the need of your soul to be delivered from sin, he sent his son who lived a righteous, sinless life, who went to the cross and made the payment for your sin and died for you, and then on the third day came out of the grave to give you life. Amen. He's not only declared it, but my friend, he has demonstrated that he loves you and his coming Christmas time tells us that God loves us. And that's a message that we should embrace, and that is a message that we should share. God sent not his son, as I read a moment ago, to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God loves you, he loves you unconditionally. He loves you with an unending love. What a glorious thing. We can be reminded at Christmas that God loves us. He came to us. And we see finally that God came to us to reveal His glory. He came to us to reveal His glory. 400 years of silence, as I mentioned a moment ago, between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. But God steps in. And he reveals his glory to man. And how does he reveal it? He reveals it in the person of his son, who is the express image of the Father. In Luke chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, Luke chapter number 2, 
and verse number 19. On the day of his birth, the eve of his birth, the Lord sends his messengers to announce his arrival. In Luke chapter 2 and verse number 9, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, speaking of these shepherds. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Lord Jesus Christ came to reveal his glory to us. And he lived a glorious life, did he not? Philippians chapter 2, speaking of the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This verse declares very plainly that though he became a man, he became a man without ceasing to be God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation as he lived upon this earth. He made himself of no reputation. He was not born in a castle or a fine home or nice hospital room. He was born in a manger and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Imagine that, the God of gods who spoke this universe into existence humbled himself. He submitted to the authority of his parents. He served others. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He went to the cross and suffered and bled and died. The giver and author of life went to the cross and laid it down for you and I. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus. Let me just say this to you this, as you go through this Christmas season and every other day of your life, be careful how you use the name of Jesus. Be careful how you use the name of God. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And God said, I will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So be careful with your trite expressions and your casual usage of the name of our God. His name is an exalted name that is above every name. His name reveals his glory and his person. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth in all realms of spiritual life and physical life. In every realm, he is king and every knee shall bow to him and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, when those angels confessed it, they were glorifying God. When those shepherds confessed it, they glorified God. 
And friends, when you and I confess it, we bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. Have you confessed his name? Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You've heard about him, but you've never personally made him yours. I want to urge you to, today to bow the knee, to confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And I have some good news for you. The Bible said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the tongue, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Would you confess him today? There will be those who do not confess him, but one day at the judgment they will confess him. But it will be too late for them. They'll spend an eternity in hell apart from God. My friend, God loves you. That's why he came to you. He came to you in demonstration of his power to show you who he was. He came to you to deliver you in the greatest moment of need and the greatest area of need in your life to save you from sin and death. He came to you according to his promise. And by the way, if he kept that promise, he'll keep all the rest of them. He came to you because he loves you. And he came to you to reveal his glory. Would you glorify him? You say, Pastor, how do I do that? Well, I, I just want to give you three quick thoughts. And I mean, just, um, but I want you to write them down. Because as we go through this Christmas season, this is how we glorify him. First of all, I can glorify him by remembering his birth. That's what Christmas really should be about. Not about Santa Claus and gifts and elves. but about Jesus. Remember his birth. Remember why he came and what he did when he came. Here's another word I want you to write down. Another R, receive his gift. If you have not received the gift of eternal life, receive it today. Don't walk away from it. He's offered it to you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Receive it. Have you received it? Rejoice in the salvation of Christ. As you reflect upon it, as you remember what he's done for you, rejoice in his salvation. Mary rejoiced in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46, and she said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Simeon rejoiced. The Bible said that when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, that Simeon came and took up the Lord in Luke 2 and verse 28. Then took he up him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Oh, there was a, 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 a godly woman also in the temple named Anna. And the Bible said that when she saw him, she gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel. We ought to rejoice in the Lord. 
You know what I found out about the devil? He's a thief. And you know what I've noticed about people? It's hard for them to celebrate. It's hard for them to rejoice. Do you know why we have a hard time rejoicing? Because in the midst of all that God has done for us and all that God has given to us, we have a tendency to look only upon the things that we don't have. In the celebration, there's always somebody there to point out the problem and steal our joy. That's the gift of the devil. And may God help us. We need to learn to rejoice in his salvation. And then let me give you this last one. Report the glad tidings of Christ. Report the glad tidings. The Bible says in Luke chapter 2 and verse 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Those shepherds, they went and found him, they saw him, and then when they went out, they told everybody they could, hey, you won't believe what happened to us tonight. There was a heavenly host that appeared to us, a bright light in the midst of the dark, cold night of Bethlehem, and we went and found the babe, and we saw the Savior. Have you seen him? Then you need to tell others about him. May God help us. May God help us to reveal his glory to others. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, And thank you once again for listening.